Hello. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm Deb Philman, your host, and happy United States Memorial Day weekend, at least for us it is. Um, but I have with me a guest from the UK, so welcome audience from the UK and whatever this weekend happens to be for you, <laughs> since I'm not up on my UK weekends of the summer. I don't know if you have something similar to start the summer, but this is sort of our official first weekend of summer Uh weekend as well as a time where we are memorializing our fallen uh, military heroes. Sure. Um, so I would like to introduce Ada to you for those of you who don't know her, you may recognize her from prior shows on this channel. We've had conversations in the past called Making Connections, where we talk about sort of culture and current events and even history, uh, looking at it from, you know, American perspective, UK perspective, and just kind of batting it back and forth. And, but today's going to be a little different, you see, because, and I'm going to let Ada introduce her own work, but she's been working hard on her own platforms. And I'm really excited to have her explain what she's been doing. And I, she is one of the bravest voices I know. And you guys know that I love myself to amplify people who are speaking truth. And by truth, I mean, willing to ask hard questions, come what may, you know, they're epistemically humble and they don't mind talking to anyone and everyone provided the discourse is civil and honest. So welcome, Ada. How are you today? Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for everyone who's um, joined in as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to the conversation as always. And you are absolutely right. I am always excited to just um, share ideas, bounce ideas back and forth with like-minded people and even people who aren't like-minded um, because I think the most important thing is discussion, dialogue and conversation. So thank you so much for reaching out to do this again. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, it's been a long time since we've spoken and so many things have happened, but let's let's uh, find out more about what you're working on. Now, your platform on YouTube is called The Different Voice, or is it The Different Voice Initiative or Different yes. Voices Initiative? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so um, first of all, what's happening in the UK? Um, I know it's Memorial Weekend there, but in the UK soon, what's kind of starting off our summer is um, the Queen's Jubilee. Um, which is um, happening next week. Um, so the Queen's Jubilee is basically um, a platinum jubilee. So the Queen has um, officially reigned um, in, in the UK for 70 years. So there's kind of a celebration going on around that next week. So we have kind of a long weekend, um, the Thursday, Friday, that's going to be happening here in the UK. So that's just <laughs> but you know what I, I do want to ask you and obviously you can only speak for yourself or your own sort of observations but we in the United States have this bizarre love-hate relationship with the monarchy you know a lot of people will say this is ridiculous so they have a monarchy and it steals money from the taxpayers blah 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 and then you have other people who are just hanging on their every word and movement and even the ones they hate like Meghan Markle they can't resist watching everything there is to watch about her her psychology like people are sort of obsessed with it but I've always been curious um what someone who lives in the UK thinks about the the monarchy and you know these things tend to be really exciting events and I, I have a feeling we in the United States don't fully understand. So whenever we comment, we're commenting like out of left field compared to how it's perceived there. So what can you tell us? Um yeah I think there is um differences of um thoughts and opinions when it comes to the monarchy in the UK. 
the primary reason is because the UK has sort of moved away from that. Um, well, yeah, I would say homo homogeneity and we've become sort of that multicultural, exactly like the US. So, you know, with the influx, you know, and it, the importation of other cultures that's kind of blended in with the British culture. I think that that's what brings that difference of, you know, views in terms of the monarchy. So you have people who are sort of indifferent um, to, to the monarchy. You have those who are anti royalists so you know they're anti sort of any establishment anyway so the monarchy sort of goes into that then you have those who believe that you know the monarchy is responsible for you know all, all a lot of the tragedies you know behind a lot of the past colonization you know they were intertwined with the slave trade so you have that kind of um i would say you know distancing um, from that establishment then you have those who love the monarchy love the queen love the royal family follow the royal family and I think for that group I think the royal family is trying to sort of modernize themselves and keep themselves within the times and that's why you have you know or you had people like you know the the Duke and Duchess of Sussex so they kind of changed things up a little bit but the scandals obviously haven't helped um, as much, um, you know, things with Prince Andrew and, and so on and so forth, the um, squabbling between Prince Harry and, and Prince William. So I think it's a very complex um, institution and that's why a lot of people have a lot of complex feelings about it. So it's a little bit similar to the US, even mm -hmm. though we live in the UK, not a lot of people know what to make of it. But these kind of celebrations sort of brings everyone together anyway and sort of unites us in that, you know, national spirit, um, whether you There's are a sort of continuity. Yeah. There's a continuity to it in a, in a shared history, which I think has its perks. Um, I think we may undervalue how important it is to a, a culture, uh, even though the UK is so multidimensional in terms of its culture. There's something unifying about having that shared history or having something to point to that where there was continuity, even if it's like any other family or like any other institution, it's a bumpy road. Right. Um, my, my thing is I just individually like the queen. Like, so, and I, I mean, I'm sure if I knew her personally, I might feel differently because I've heard she's even a kind of a complex person and that there are things I might not like, but I do from a distance admire her her strength and the strength of character that she has shown is she committed herself to something at a very young age an age when most of us really don't know who the heck we are or what we want to do and she made a commitment and she made promises and she stuck with them come hell or high water mm -hmm. and while that is not something i necessarily recommend to you know the average uh civilian the average you know the average um, um non-royal person i think if you are carrying that weight on you, especially in a time immediately after a major world war, mm. especially at a time when your 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 country's economy is in shambles and where you are also, for the time being anyway, presiding over a commonwealth of nations where you have reach across the world. I think that shows an incredible amount of maturity and strength that she said, you know, like it or not, this is my role and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I think she's done that admirably in what you know so many people sit back in judgment of her but i think to myself what the heck would i do mm. and especially being a mom 
knowing that, you know, your children are individuals, they're going to do what they're going to do. And she's had some <laughs> disappointments in that department, let me, let's just say. Um, and I think too, she's carried that as well as one could expect. So I just think in that respect, I think she still stands for me as a, a role model of um, poise and yep. commitment, maturity. integrity, commitment. Um you know, like you mentioned, sticking to what you have taken on, which is for her to rule her country, um, even yeah. though she doesn't only rule it, you know, it's the government right. that's sort of in charge. But, you know, she has right. put herself in that position. And that's what a lot of people do admire about her, even though there are calls to abolish the monarchy and all these things. Right. I don't think that's actually going to work because there are people who value those principles more than the person where the that that those right. principles inhabiting and you know they 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 recognize and sort of revere that institution right. rather than wondering the ins and outs of what people have done I mean with every hero you can find negative qualities and with every villain you can you can if you search you can find positive things so this yeah. sort of er this seeking to erase complete history because you found that this person has done this and that that hasn't been as you know noble. I think it's quite quite ridiculous. So other mm -hmm. calls to um, remove you know or sort of smear Winston Churchill. I mean, people have done it even with Martin Luther King. People you know dig up the the less favorable sides of him, and I think that's actually quite bizarre. You know, with right. everyone. There's well, and, and the flip side could also be true, right? We could look at somebody absolutely monstrous, right? Yeah. We could look at a uh, Hitler or something, or there you can't imagine there's anything good about him. He's just a, mm -hmm. an absolute psychopath. And then somebody might come up and say, "Well, he loved animals, and he was a vegetarian." I mean, like, so there, there, there's, I guess, there's good and evil in all of us, yeah. as and many of us say. You know, yeah, mm -hmm. she's Sorry. she's she's a complicated person. I think there's also a difference between. Does the UK need a monarchy? Which of course it doesn't. It doesn't no. doesn't really use the monarchy right now, except no, made for but, tourist trade, right? Of course. Um, but in terms of what, it's hard to measure. Do the people believe they need to maintain this institution? That's a lot harder to measure objectively. Like I, I wouldn't even attempt it because it's so subjective. Each person's going to have a different opinion. And to your point, I don't think they're going to be very successful in asserting one subjective opinion over another in that respect but objectively do they need it i mean i don't know what's the dollars and cents behind how much they're bringing in versus how much they're spending yeah. i have no idea of course they I mean, don't need it you know if you ask every britain exactly. I'm, I'm sure uh, the majority will say we don't but it is part of the culture yeah. the monarchy right. now is more a cultural thing rather than an institutional legal thing that that's right. the fact of it and every country has their own specific culture so i think right. if you move to abolish the um the monarchy you're 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 now interfering with the cultural state of that country now and i think that's what people don't want and i think that's fair you know i don't think there's anything racist in preserving the culture of your country even though yes that country might be the majority yeah. white but white people also <laughs> have a right to have a culture as well i know that's not a right thing to say right but yes they do have a, a a right to have and preserve and maintain their own culture and it's as simple as that I was well i guess what i look at is each individual person so like 
you, you know, you might happen to be black or you might happen to be white in terms of appearance, like phenotype, right? Mm -hmm. But each person has a right to choose what they want to culturally, you know, as associate with. The only thing we can't really do, in my personal opinion, is defy reality. Like, I can't say I'm black. <laughs> you, can't, you know, it starts with yeah. like, people looking at me. Mm -hmm. But if, for example, I wanted to listen to rap music all day and braid my hair and, you know, eat foods that are indigenous to Africa or something, like, why shouldn't I be permitted to do that? If I genuinely enjoyed those things, if that's what I really enjoyed and gave made my life better, who's to say that that can't be the culture that I decide to associate with? Because when I look at, and if we're going to get down to the, and this is so sick, I don't like when people do this, but if you're going to get down to DNA, you know, of like, what are you genetically? I mean, like most Americans, I'm a mutt. But I look at, you know, like half is very specifically Jewish, Eastern mm. European, um, specifically, I think Lithuanian, right? I don't even know what Lithuanian food is. I don't know anything about the history of Lithuania. I know mm -hmm. almost nothing about that. Mm -hmm. And then the other half is like English, Irish, mishmash, French, a little bit of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I think of what I enjoy, you might think I was part Japanese mm -hmm. and part Italian. Mm -hmm. I love sushi. I love opera, mostly the Italian operas. Um, I, I'm half Jewish, but I like Wagner. Oh my God, sue me. Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. I love that. so it, it just, it bugs me when people say like, you know, white culture or black culture or this culture, or that culture, because you know, you, you're literally from Africa, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like, a, yeah. okay. So now there are people in the United States who have been for, um, they've stopped doing it now, but have been called African-Americans who mm -hmm. they couldn't possibly trace back. I mean, they might be able to, but they really struggle to find out what area of Africa or even how many generations ago mm -hmm. from Africa their relatives were. So are they really, or are they a, a kind of American? And that's where I get these labels just don't work. Yeah. And I, I wish we would just be able to say that. Yeah, I think the biggest problem in itself is is separating culture in terms of the color lines. That doesn't exist. So there is, I will agree that there is no such thing as white culture and there is no such thing as black culture. For example, you gave an example, um, you know, phenotypically you're not black, but if I like rap music and braid my hair but that is not even black culture that right be, but i'm just that, saying like you know no, somebody I, might claim it course, you know of course yeah. yeah but for example i'm nigerian and that may not not a nigerian culture is not the same as a caribbean culture and it's not even the same as someone in in america right so these right. color labels anyway don't make sense at, at all you don't have a white culture, you have an American culture. You can't have a white culture because I don't think you have the same culture as someone from Norway. I was going to right. say Poland, but I think you have some roots or something. I don't know if it's you I spoke to in, in Poland, maybe not you. Well, then. I mean, it, depending where they drew the line between yeah. Lithuania and, you know, it's like, you know, those days they kept drawing the lines a little bit right? so it's possible. I had some relatives. Right. So Very I possible. agree that it is something, you know, your culture should be something that you identify with you know and these separation of um you know this is you know um asian well asian is more specific but white or black definitely or brown which we say a lot in in the uk i don't know if they say much there i think they that's where too, yeah. it loses a lot of sense and yeah. sometimes when they say brown then they'll say well we don't include asian 
Mm -hmm. Another thing about Asia, Asia is a continent. It is. So are we talking about people from India? Are we talking about people from Vietnam, China, Korea, North or South? You know, like, and I know that the specific cultures, like the Japanese and the Chinese culture are completely different. Very different. Completely different. The mindset, the values, completely different. So it's, it's just absurd that people would be labeling, oh, this is Asian, this is this, this is that. And, you know, are there some generalizations maybe that you could make? Like, for example, you could say that, you know, Jewish culture tends to value education very highly. So you'll have a disproportionate number of people from that background who are very high achieving academically because their parents, grandpa, whatever, have valued it very highly. But is this culture or is this a reflection of values? Is this a reflection of values that really anyone could adopt? Right. I think that's the point. Yeah. Because that's values. That's mm -hmm. not culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. And it's so funny that we make, you know, statistics and overgeneralized sort of data on these groups like you mentioned what what do we mean when we say Asian because I tell you now in I had this culture shock even within the UK because I I grew up in a place called Birmingham and Birmingham is 23 to 30 percent South Asian the demographic it's highly populated with South Asian so people from Pakistan people from India Afghanistan and so on and so forth so in Birmingham Anytime you say Asian, you mean from South Asian, just automatically. Oh, I'm, I'm, my boyfriend is Asian. My teacher is Asian. You automatically think that. When I moved to London, I found that it was the complete opposite. When I was talking about Asian, people would always think that I was talking about someone from East Asia because the demographic here is a little bit different. And yet we make these assumptions on groups based on these labels in, in the first place. And I, I think that's a big problem with this as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I wanted to um, catch up with you on, if you're, if you're dialed into it, and maybe you are, maybe you're not, I'm not sure, but um, I've been covering the gender ideology stuff. And of course the UK was, I hate to use the expression ahead of us, but I mean, um, historically uh, we were getting news in the United States about gender clinics and things happening and big um, clusters of uh, rapid onset genders for, especially girls and so forth mm-hmm. in the UK before we started hearing about it in the United States, it seemed to be like we were following and now it's exploded here Mm -hmm. to the point where it's exceeding what's gone on in the UK. But I'm hearing that the UK to a certain degree is like waking up similar to some of the Northern European countries that are banning the surgeries and the administration of the hormones. And I'm hearing rumblings from the UK, but then just today Mm -hmm. I saw a piece of news Mm -hmm. saying that home office is working on legislation to ramp up hate crime, you know, punishments that could, in fact, put somebody like Ricky Gervais in jail mm. for his comments about trans people in his comedy special. And I'm just like, what's happening over there? It seemed like things were, you know, like people were starting to catch on and say, OK, this is not freedom. But then I saw a couple of weeks ago the protests where women were being attacked by biological males mm. calling themselves women. And they were physically attacking them, verbally attacking them, threatening their lives. And I'm just aghast. I just this is coming here, but I'm wondering, what do you see 
yourself there? Yeah, so it is definitely similar there. You know, there is, weirdly enough, um, legislation and, you know, sort of the area of speech is that we're trying to sort of um, regulate that. But I do think people are waking up as well. Um, there is a movement um, by a, a, a women's group um, called Respect My Sex. I don't know if you heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Respect My Sex if you want my ex. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really great gaining a lot of traction. It is gaining a lot of traction um, in you know in within the politicians as well and it's basically a movement um formed by a coalition of three women's groups so one i think is called women's uniting one is called sex matters uh, another one's called women's rights network and they basically formed because they were sick of all this um narrative surrounding you know transgenderism and the denial of of biology in the first place and they saw that you know because of this their rights were being encroached on um changes were happening in sports you know changes were happening in in um in education um within their own you know single single sex spaces like changing rooms toilets so there were there was um one of our councils they spent I think a quarter of a million pounds you know refurbishing public toilet spaces to be inclusive to you know neutral gender neutral people but that could mean that someone who was biologically born male you know could use that space as you know as a woman right so that is definitely happening and that's just basically a campaign to challenge the politicians that if they want the X signifies that's how you know when we vote we put the X right so if you want my X if you want my vote how can you demonstrate to me that you are doing all you can to pr- protect women's rights in public spaces in schools in in sports and so on and so forth and like I said that is gaining a lot of traction and I don't know this specific case but I think it's in Oxford Council, I think there was a push for, um, you know, telling children that there's no such thing as they don't need to use boys and girls anymore, something like that. And I think the, this group, this campaigning group got involved. He went to court and, I, and they won as well. So it was a school in Oxfordshire Council, I can't remember. So there is a lot of pushback against it. Of course, it is difficult because, you know, the justice warriors you know working full-time like you mentioned Ricky Gervais to you know mess up comedy you know mess up common sense really so it is a fight but I think the fight is happening um in the UK okay so but I mean it is it is a little frightening how far it's gone and how much credence is still given to people who are essentially saying I demand that you ignore reality I demand that you validate my neurosis or my particular desire to live my life a certain way. We've gone way past don't pick on me because I'm different. You know, don't don't harass me or discriminate against me or treat me poorly in inhumane ways because I was born a male and I feel like living my life looking cosmetically like a female. Okay, because that's really what we're talking about right now for for most. 
to the point where now I don't even feel a compunction to look cosmetically like a female. I just want you to, to respect the fact that I declare myself one. And if you don't agree with me or you don't bend the knee to mm. my demand that you treat me as something that I'm not, I'm going to harass you, bully you, beat you up, uh, call you names, start threaten your life, et cetera. And it is beyond my comprehension that in a country like, you know, England or in the UK that they would, that this hasn't been already shamed out of existence, that this is this, we've just gone round the bend as they would say. And, uh, I'm seeing it here as well. And I think what's next is going to be, we already see people saying I'm a cat, I'm a dog, you know, I'm an animal and how far until I'm black. I identify yeah. as black. I'm black. You have to treat me that way. Or you know what? Age is a social construct. I am now a senior citizen. And I'm going to start drawing down on my retirement funds. Tell me I can't. Exactly. I mean, if, as long as we're rejecting reality is like, you know, that's you say, well, you can't reject chronological uh, age. I'm like, someone is rejecting their own penis. <laughs> it's literally attached to them. Excuse my language, but they're like, who knew that, that they would come, but Sorry. ignore my Y chromosome. You know, just ignore it. It's not yeah, I think exactly. I think the main point is I, I can summarize from what you said. The same as this campaigning group of respecting my sex and everyone else, myself, and I'm sure yourself included. We don't mind how people choose to live their life. It's just as simple as that. There's this is the fact of it. You know, I've I've worked in places before this whole trend of transgender and so on I've worked in places with non-binary people I've had non-binary colleagues before and there was literally it wasn't a thing of oh my gosh it was of course there was a curiosity but it wasn't a it wasn't they weren't you know this completely different kind of human being to me they were they were a human being as I am with a different yeah. lifestyle who made different choices and that was it the problem we have now is the self-identification and how far mm -hmm. will that go? Like you said, you know, if someone does make the effort, look, I believe I was born in a wrong body and it's not making an effort for society, but it's actually showing that you are actually genuine in what you believe and you think, because right. I could stand here and say that <laughs> I'm a tree or whatever else. And, you know, I can, like you said, I can say anything and you have you must, it's not that you have to respect me, but you must join me with my belief and validate that I am also a tree, right? Right. So exactly. it's not just I'm a tree, you go your way and I go my way. It's no, 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 you're not going your way. You come my way and you must validate me by using this pronoun that I say and all this and that and the other, right? That's you know where what? the Someone problem is. Someone ought to is. do that. Someone ought to stand in the middle of a sidewalk in London, like a busy sidewalk. With things, giving me you know, ideas <laughs> i'm a tree right and when people come in you don't want to just walk around them they just get in their way you say no get I'm, their sorry, way. I'm a tree. treats are in your way like you you know you got to go around the tree mm -hmm. you can the tree is planted so just like make people walk around you in fact no don't move in their way just stay right smack in the middle of the thing so and don't move and and stick your arms like this <laughs> and then people are like what are you doing like i'm a tree and then they're like, no, you're not. You're getting, you're in my way. Like I'm a tree. 
and just keep doing it. And then when they like freak out, you just be like, well, how are you to tell me I'm not a tree? I think that's the point. I think go if they around just, me. Exactly. If they just even go around you and just have a little bit of an inconvenience of you being in the way, that's one thing. But the problem is I move where they move and block them and say, no, you can't move until you say to me that I am a tree and validate my existence. And I think exactly. that is the problem. And I'm not being, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but that's why sometimes when I see um, these non-binary and so on and so forth, and they feel this compel compelling, you know, feeling to advertise and not just advertise, but almost force that you believe who they are saying they are. You don't need to believe anything to do with me. If I come here and I tell you, Deb, I'm such a smart, intelligent, blah, blah, blah. I That's me. You are not obligated to believe what I think about right. myself. Right. And I think that's the pr main problem. Just like they want, they don't want us to invalidate right or push upon them our own set of beliefs and values I don't know why it's okay that it's it's fine the other way around I just don't understand that and it's the same with the racial thing as well you know you I can tell you about your experience having white privilege I can tell you about my experience having oppression but you can't tell me otherwise you can't tell me about your values your own worldview your own perspective it's not valid because you're in a position of power but I can tell you everything that you need to know about you and you need to know about me as well it's interesting it feels like we've created a and a, this is you know a, a culture because this is you know where we may have had you know enlightenment culture western culture that could you know be an umbrella for the western world so to speak I think now we have an anti-enlightenment anti reason anti-reality uh kind of culture that has placed a higher value on what the degree to which you can get people to bend the knee to unreason that's power now so it's not you know and and it may be it may well be a reaction to perceived oppression or whatever but i really think I really think it's it's deeper than that. I think there are there's a need in enlightened people to be objective or to be you know like we we went to this level of like oh I want to be a thinker and be open minded, but they forgot that if you're open minded without principles, if you're open minded without a philosophy of life, okay that you that you come back to. And you, you check things against, like, whatever it might be. People have different things. Some people have Christianity. Some people have, you know, Aristotle, Ayn Rand, you know, whatever. But you, you need to have something where you're like, does this, does this align? Does this measure up? Whatever. It, otherwise, you believe in nothing. You believe in it. Somebody comes along and gives you a song and dance that sounds, you know, uh, if not credible, it certainly sounds like you can't argue against it because you don't have any principles. You don't have any core principles to use as a base to argument for, for your argument. Then they can just run right over you with lunacy. Suddenly it can be, you know, the earth is flat day is night. Two plus two equals five because what's your, what are you relying on? Like for me, I rely on objective facts or reason or what I can see and prove with my five senses. That's mine. 
Okay. You're going to need to show me evidence. I'm going to need to see something that empirically demonstrates that your point is correct. Otherwise it's your opinion. And I'm under no obligation to share your opinion, period, full stop. That's mm -hmm. just how it is. And, but you have people saying, no, it's not my opinion. It's fact. And then I see all these people who ought to know better, scientists, professors, teachers, you know, who are just like, well, who am I to argue? Who am I to say? That's what they believe. That's their truth. And I'm like, so I just. Yeah, I think you mentioned they may feel that they are, you know, you know, it's a fight against um, oppression. But I think the problem is, is that you can't use oppressive tactics to fight the oppression that you're against anyway and this is this statement reminds me of Brent Weinstein and that's exactly what he said um when um he was um he was told or not him specifically but in Evergreen College it was a thing of white students white faculty members administration whatever please take the day off school because there's going to be a day of you know, recognition and talking about, you know, ethnic minority issues. And he, that's one, one line I remember from him saying that, that, that is an act of oppression in itself. You can't combat oppression using the same tactics. If you feel you are so oppressed, it doesn't make sense. The aim should be to move forward together and to try as much as possible to coexist together and I was saying recently um, in the recent live myself is that we are so advanced, you know, as, you know, humans, you know, we've, we've technological advances and so on. And yet we still haven't figured out how to coexist with each other. It's just really, really bizarre. So I wonder sometimes um, I'm, I'm reading a book now called um, Anti-Fragile. And I think it's, I'm trying to think what the subtitle is by Nassim Taleb and something like the benefits of things that benefit from chaos or something. But um, he talks a lot about this concept in the book, how um, we've advanced so far that we may have the impression that we can fix everything. Yeah. That like Nate, we can fix nature. We can, we can organize and control for chaos to reduce its negative impact. And he then refers to something called naive interventions where people get so focused on, you know, the thing they're going to do to fix the thing they don't like that they forget that these interventions, when you and don't do proper risk analysis can create much bigger problems than the thing you were trying to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. we, that's something we've done. We become a little too uh, enamored of our own technological prowess in particular, a specific segment of our society. And, you know, people refer to them generically as the elite. Okay. But I mean, it seems like a fair name because we are talking about the top, maybe 1% of the population. We're talking about people with a lot of wealth. We're talking about people with a lot of academic credentials. And yet we're also talking about people who have a smaller percentage of skin in the game in terms of they aren't necessarily literally producing anything with their hands. They're not the, they're not going to be on the receiving end of their fixes. There's a lot of things that they're, they want to tinker with. Like we're all marionettes or chess pieces and 
they have an enormous amount of power. And here's the worst part, credibility because mm -hmm. of how enamored we are with, you know, titles and PhD and all the stuff that they are um, acting like gods. Mm. They, they fancy themselves some kind of gods. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, don't think there's much I can add to that. I think it's, you know, we've, I know there's the biblical principle when God said, you know, I give you power over all the earth, but I don't think he was so literal where we're even trying to control one another and what each other can say and what each other can think and believe. You know, we've gone away from that. Everyone just do your own thing and mind your own business. And I think people are taking it a, a little bit too far now. And they're, they're living in a way that doing your own thing means having no control or self-control or boundaries or morals. And it's just, I can be anything and do anything and you just have to respect it. But that's not how a civilization survives. We can't unfortunately all do our every single thing and enact every single desire and compulsion within us we we know this i'm not saying anything new even animals you know have that sense exactly. as well but i think we are forgetting that with this age of free expression and self-expression and self-actualization and we're not knowing that to balance that out like you mentioned there we must have those values and principles and commonalities keeping us in check because we are all the same deep down there's good and evil in all of us and the difference is those who have the i will not really say the power but the willingness to constantly reflect and analyze and check themselves to make sure that their actions or inactions are not contributing to any i don't know if that's me with all that noise is it me or what you know a lot of noise a lot of scraping but i hope it's that not might noise. be my mouse okay cool i moved that's my cool. mouse and it uh, it just, makes a horrible noise i need a mouse pad <laughs> no that's fine i just hate note when to it's self <laughs> buy mouse pad it's scraping i'm so sorry no it's not really a scraping it's more a move but it's there's i no was trying to get well, information just, from your yeah. site to put yeah. i put your link over here because oh, i want to make yeah. sure people go over there too but um yeah. but yeah no you're you're absolutely right and there's a word. The other thing I was trying to look up is the word. There is a word and he mentions it. Of course it escapes me because it's a big word. I just learned, um, <laughs> but it's, there's a word for doing harm while meaning to do good. There's actually wow. a vocabulary word that means that. And I knew it yesterday and that's escaped, you know, like through my senior moments. Um, but there is such a thing. And of course, today we can think of many things that would fall under that. And it's so very frustrating because when you see it, you probably feel this way too. When you see it happening, you want to tell everybody, stop, just, just don't do the thing. Do no harm. Just to stop. You'll do less harm if you leave nature or you leave, you know, people and markets and human interactions and volunteerism and like all the things. If you just leave chaos alone, it will work itself out. It balance, or maybe not, it will rebalance. That's the order of life. It will always rebalance itself. Nature has done so, has done fine enough without us, Deb. Oxygen, we didn't create the oxygen levels in, but yeah. it knows that it just has to be just right 
to not expl- cause an explosion and not to starve us of breath of air. It, it, nature is perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah. it works itself out. And there's no reason for us to try and change that dynamic by thinking that actually I must do something so that and sorry to cut you, but when when you mentioned that, it, it remind it makes me think of all the the protection and protection and protection, yes. especially that's trying to happen online as well. You know, I'm sure anyone on social media, you know, I, I went on my Instagram and I don't know what setting it tried to give me and always tries to give me this. Do you want to filter hateful comments? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no. Bring it on. No. Bring it on. Like, for Please. goodness sake, no. If I want to filter from hateful comments, you know what I'll do? Deb, get off Instagram live in the real world but as long as I'm on this platform and using this digital network I'm here for it all and and it's just as simple as that don't protect me from anything because for you to protect me from especially things like this means more surveillance means means less privacy means you dictating what you think is hate speech what I might find constructive criticism in the first place leave it alone I totally agree (laughs) and now we have and now we have um a situation in the United States. I don't know if this is happening in the UK. If you do, you have something called social emotional learning focus in schools in the UK. SEL. Have you heard that term over there? I haven't heard it, but that doesn't mean it may not be happening. But I personally haven't heard that specific term. Okay, because we have it going on here, and I've been covering it on this channel, and I've been covering it with uh, with a, a research partner. Um, Anne, and we're going to have a show coming up this week, this Wednesday about some stuff that she's found just to give you guys a teaser. It goes beyond, I thought it was bad because they were trying to micromanage the emotions of students all the way down to kindergarten and, you know, check in on them constantly. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? It's like, now I'm anxious because you're up in my business constantly. Right. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they can't see this, or maybe they can, and that's part of the point. But now what we're finding is we've found evidence that they are handing teachers surveys with subjective questionnaire questions to observe as children as young as 18 months oh, wow. in pre-K to make assessments about the mental, he- the mental health of toddlers. And that this data, that the teacher checks boxes and questions are like, does the child seem to do this? And, you know, does the child do, you know, make, uh, want to play? Does the child want this? The child like this? How the f- do they know? <laughs> I mean, wow. if I think back to my 18 month old children and how dramatically different they were at three and then at five. And then, I mean, these people are, are leading parents and teachers who obviously are not taught proper child brain development in their programs, they're leading them to believe that you can prevent mental illness with early intervention. And the intervention is cataloging and sorting and screening and screening and screening and screening and screening and and surveilling and screening and screening some more children as young as 18 months of age. They are actually propagating the lie that a children of two to three, a child of two to three months can be racist because of this eye focusing thing, which is a bogus study in the first place, but it doesn't mean you're racist if your eyes focus on your caregiver more quickly than somebody who isn't your caregiver. Okay. But they're drawing that conclusion. They're saying we can get out ahead of, they're selling it as we can prevent them from being mentally ill and racist. 
if we get in there at 18 months of age and we start screening out for all the negatives, then you come to find out if you come at it from the other side, the WEF side and the side, you find out that they're not really trying to prevent anything. They're surveilling and sorting us because they have a preferred psychological makeup of a person who they deem will be most productive for the little society that they're creating. It is the creepiest, creepiest stuff. I've found a research paper. I have found untold amounts of stuff. I hope this is not in the UK. If you hear anything about it in the UK, you need to like big bells of warning because apparently this is a global it's, initiative. Mm. This is a global initiative. And I would liken it. It's not my term. My husband came up with this, but he said it's like psychological eugenics. Mm. It definitely is happening in the UK. Might, I'm sure it's probably called SEL as well, but it's definitely happening in some form in the UK. And I completely agree that it's not for the purposes of, you know, diagnosing the child or understanding the child. It is that sorting of society and it only serves the purposes and the interests of a few. Um, yeah, so I, I, I definitely agree with that. Right. And it's really, um, it's quite frightening. Now, Lately, I'm sure you've seen in the news, we've had the school shooting situation here once again. What are they saying in your world about things like that in our world? What do you do you hear? Is it a lot of like, why do they have guns in America? Is it is it like I that? think it's the same thing, because obviously we don't have guns in the UK. And what I will say is um, when someone does... Um, mentioned that we don't have guns um the pushback is usually well what about the knife epidemic so I do want to clarify that the UK doesn't have a knife epidemic knife crime <laughs> epidemic I just want to say that London may be high with knife crime incidents but that's London not the UK so stop using that as a pushback because it, it's, it's don't listen to what the media is saying but I think it is a quite complex issue. Um, of course, when we're looking from here, it is just a simple thing of, why can't you just get rid of the guns? These kids are dying. But I know in America, it is intertwined in definitely the constitution and, and in the culture of some. So it's definitely more complex. And I guess it's not an, an well, the, the idea is that it's not a simple thing of, well, just get rid of all the guns. Anyway, even if that happens, I don't think it's going to be it's going to go down very well in the USA because I think it is pretty much embedded in the root of the culture. But from here, it is that question of, well, why why is it so difficult to just get rid of the guns like we did in the UK, like we did in the, in Australia? So I don't I maybe you can tell me a bit more if it's as polarized as we are seeing. It's not polarized. It doesn't look so usually when stuff happens in the UK, in the US, it kind of polarizes the UK, funnily enough. But I think the yeah. general consensus here is, well, we don't have and it's doing well for us. So why can't they just institute the same thing? Well, as you point out, it is very complicated. And we do have um, our constitutional amendment in part because, you know, going all the way back to 1776 and the king and you know all that that the notion was and i agree with it that if you are not able to defend yourself you're also not able to defend yourself against the people who have a a who have a monopoly on force which would be government government is force after all and since they established a country based on the principle that force is only legitimate in defense of rights 
that was what they were trying to do. Um, then if you, but they also were realistic and knew that you give any kind of power to people, the, uh, the likelihood that eventually over time, they're going to try to monopolize it and keep it and, and disempower the people is very high. They'd seen, they've read history. And so, you know, keeping the people free to bear their own arms is sort of a way of kind of keeping the government honest, you know, like you can't, you, you don't have that monopoly on force that people can defend themselves. Now, we also are a country built out of the wilderness. I mean, unlike the UK where you have small islands, that's not to say there isn't some wilderness there. It's just, you know, we're talking about tens of thousands of years of humankind living there in something resembling civilization with, you know, even if it's just stone buildings um, and not quite the degree of, you know, wild animals and other things. So we, we are so diverse in terms of our topography, in terms of what people do with their guns. I mean, it's, and you have a system of states that are independent and so forth. So it, it gets really, really complicated. And what I usually tell people is looking at something like this particular event, I say, why is there the rush to look at the implement of the violence and not the underlying causes? Because these things did not happen prior to the 1970s. Now we've had guns in the United States since, you know, as a culture, as a really big part of our culture since day one. Mm. And yet we didn't have school shootings since day one. We didn't have schools since day one, but we had schools at least going back into the mid, mid to late 1800s. And mm -hmm. we didn't have school shootings. In fact, one of the first most deadly school attacks was a bombing. But, um, and you can make bombs out of all manner of things, but they, they became a thing at, at the end of the seventies and so forth. And when we start to look at the underlying similarities in these events, to me, it's impossible to ignore the common denominators, a, that they happen at schools. Why are we not looking at that? Why are we not looking at that as a common denominator? The same deranged individual who picked up these this the semi-automatic rifle and went into a school with helpless little kids, you know, and has that this has happened multiple times. They didn't go to a shopping mall. They didn't go to a courthouse. They didn't go to, I mean, they didn't go to a bunch of different places that well, actually, courthouses are a hardened target now, but they didn't go to other soft targets. Why is that? Why are the teenagers who are angry going back to the school? So I think we need to look at that. I think we need to look at the way we even secure our schools. We secure our banks and our courthouses and a whole lot of other things much more than we secure places where we are literally taking care of the most vulnerable in our society. And what we found out about this one incident is that a teacher had left a door propped open. So they had all met and back in March, they did a whole security thing on the school with the local police force and like for about active shootings, it was like March 22nd. They just did this, but they had awards that day. And one of the teachers I'm told, I haven't gotten confirmation on this from multiple sources, but I read it one place that because their parents were coming in and going to the awards ceremony at the end of school it was a little lackadaisical left a side door propped open. Now that one thing, if that hadn't happened, this shooting wouldn't have happened because that school had certain security measures in place that were designed, you know, doors that lock so that when the door is closed, it's locked. You can only get out from the inside or with a key. So a shooter can't open a door. Um, the windows were, were closed. Like you can't see in from the windows. You can't, the bathrooms aren't even externalized. They're like Jack and Jill between the classrooms. So they had done all these things. And then tragically, those very same safety mechanisms turned out to, thwart 
the police, when they got there, they had like 19 or 20 police officers in the hallway. But the guy was now locked in a room. They needed a key to get in or they had to shoot the way in. They couldn't see in to see who was alive or dead or at risk of them shooting their guns from the windows because those were blocked so shooters couldn't see and so on. So, you you know, it, these secure and, and the guy could move freely between classrooms because of the bathroom situation. So it, sometimes we have to look at, you know, even if you if he had had to get his guns illegally, which the Columbine shooters did, the first most famous shooting, those guns were obtained illegally and they placed pipe bombs. Their plan was to bomb the school and shoot only the people who survived. But that didn't get out in the news. Nor did the fact that they had a straw purchase. Now, what's a straw purchase? Straw purchase is when someone who is legal to purchase firearms purchases them for people who are not. Absolutely illegal in the United States, everywhere. It's illegal. The federal government and many stakeholders have decided there's, they're not going to enforce that. It's, it's too much trouble. Most of us who are pro-gun, as I am, I've been wearing my Second Amendment t-shirt, are furious because this is the source of so much illegal gun activity and crime and violence, the straw purchases. People who have criminal records who get pay someone else off to buy them a gun or people who just do straw purchases. And if they're not going to enforce them, mm -hmm. you're you know, then it's not fair to say, we need sensible gun control. And it's like, well, the first step in sensible gun control is enforcing the laws you've got, which we know statistically absolutely correlate with like the Chicago gun violence, the DC gun violence. I mean, there are black kids cut down every single day in Chicago by the dozens, but you mm -hmm. don't see the news cameras there and people go, it's the guns. It's the gun. No, it's the people who want to take away my guns who refuse to enforce those laws to make it look like it's the guns. And where we have the most strict gun laws in the United States, we have the most violence. So it's very tempting because guns are scary. They are deadly. They can kill a lot of people at one time. So it's really easy to go, well, just get rid of them. But we're talking about close to 400 million firearms in the United States. It would be a statistical impossibility. Who's going to do that? And how much force and surveillance and encroachment on innocent people would you have to employ to do it? It would be tyranny of the highest order. We're talking like Tiananmen Square level craziness just to implement a gun ban. So since that's not going to happen, then you have to look at the underlying causes. I think that we, we are really barking up the wrong tree if we don't look at these common denominators and enforce the laws we've got. That's that's my take. No, I, I do agree with you. I just think the difference with America is this idea that of I can do, it, it's this idea of excess self-freedom. And I will explain why. Because in Nigeria, we, we you can own guns. There's 6 million gun owners in Nigeria, but you don't hear of mass shootings. So I'm just trying to understand why there is this idea that you can go up into a school and just obliterate 19 pe children. And I understand the ideas of more security at these schools. However, in my own opinion, I'm not anti-gun ownership, but I just don't understand that there are so many uh, guns owned in America I'm just this is just a personal thing this has got nothing to do with politics and it's right. like like people always say with with when you give a pushback well a murderer will, will always find a way to murder and, and I think that's true but with guns it's just so 
quick and easy to do a mass damage even before being stopped i mean we mm-hmm. have a lot of a lot of occasions in in london i mean since the time i've been here anyway the last four years where a random person would just go on a knife rampage but for him to be able to stab you he must be in a close vicinity to you and that's not the same with guns and even if they let's say cl- had that door closed he literally could have just waited till after school there's that rush of all the kids coming out and he could have shut them up. So the thing I, is, I think, but you're sort of answering your own question because we have so many guns and yet statistically based on that per capita, we actually don't have as many mass shootings as you would expect. Right. Um, and so, for example, you don't see these at places where lots of guns are. You don't see these in states or cities where everybody's presumed to be armed. They just don't happen. And so What I would say again is what's going on in American culture in particular, which is probably not the case in Nigeria. Now tell me what percentage of teenage boys are growing up in Nigeria in a single mother household? I don't know the top, the number at the top of my head, but a lot of people in Nigeria are growing up in poverty, even with two parent homes. So that there are social. Right. But poverty is a little different than having no no parents and role models like i mean a lot of people want to connect always connect poverty to crime and i think that's very unfair there are no a lot i don't people, yeah i definitely don't mean it as a direct correlation no, but no, i no, do I think it's it's definitely it can be a factor um right. maybe not for and i've said this before poverty definitely is in my own um observation it's not a correlation for senseless crime like let's say mass murdering or whatever for me all crime is senseless but i mean it's not for random crime incidents it's more for a necessity so i need to eat so i'm Mm -hmm. sorry i'm gonna have to rob you if that turns into me murdering you i'm sorry but i'm hungry but this this kind of crime of you know i'm in poverty but i have an iphone i can afford a gun but i'm just going to shoot you because i'm poor i think that's different so i definitely agree with you on that and i do agree that lack of male um, role models and the demasculation of of men anyway the emasculation of men is definitely a huge cause so i think there's everything that comes into it and that's why i'm saying i think until that's dealt with there needs to be more stringent um regulation in my opinion of gun ownership because it's just getting worse and plus and and i mean it would work. I'll tell you what, if I really thought it would work, if there were any evidence that it has worked where it has been tried, I might even support it. The problem is there's zero. <laughs> so, and in fact, there is the opposite of zero. There is ev- strong evidence that the more we have regulated gun ownership across the board, the more innocent people have been harmed and gun crime has increased in the hands of the bad people. So I think we need to take a long, hard look at our culture. I think we need to look at what's sickening it. And in my personal opinion, this is just me. I think what you just mentioned about the emasculation of the young male, I think in particular, the young white male has been demonized, straight up demonized in our culture. The other, and and when that, that kind of demonization is a very different gun crime, like you said, random rampaging suicidal levels of murder. Like I'm going down and my life is crap. I'm a nihilist and I'm taking you all with me. That I think is there. The other thing is to remember that we in this country, I don't know how it is in the UK. 
are putting our kids in front of technology as toddlers. We're sticking a phone in their hand at a restaurant or a tablet in front of their hand. We're putting them on video games. And then in the school, they're also giving them a Chromebook and having them play everything. They're gamifying everything. They're not handling real books. Now, what do we know about the human brain and neurology when you are staring at a screen? Mm -hmm. You become quite literally neurologically disassociated from your body. Exactly. When that happens, even it happens to us adults, and you then step away from the technology, it takes some period of time to get back in touch with your own body. Do mm-hmm. I have to pee, sleep? What do I, how do I feel? Like you're not connected. That level of disconnection plus puberty, plus hormones, plus bullying, plus no father in the home, plus maybe a degree of poverty, plus playing hours and hours of horrific video games. This guy apparently, and I'm not saying video games cause. Of course. People- hear me say that but it's a combination and a compound count compounding of all these things there's nothing really positive healthy joyful or that connects the individual who's being sort of disconnected from themselves disconnected from joy disconnected from the future living in an eternal present and if your present sucks if you're looking at your present and it sucks and you don't, you have no even clear vision of like future because you guess what? I haven't been taught Jack diddly about the past. Here's the thing, guys, in order to feel p- hopeful about the future, you must have past perspective. You must imagine being a black person or a black child and nobody taught you about the degree of progress made. And you were only looking at your community today. And maybe you lived in a place where there were still the you know residual effects of segregation or, you know, whatever poverty there. And you thought that was just as bad as it's ever been. Why are you going to hope things are going to be better in the future? You have to have some progress. So they don't teach the past. They don't talk to you about in a hopeful ways. They talk to you about your oppression and things are bad. Things are negative. The world's coming to an end in 12 years because of the climate. Da, da, da. Now, is that going to affect everyone? Of course not. But you take some particular people and all the pieces fit together at exactly the right time and exactly the right place. And this is why I point out the statistical really small incidents of these things. They get a lot of play in the media. So it seems like they happen every day. It seems like, oh my God, every week we have one. Mm. But in fact, we don't. And in fact, as tragic and horrible and as much as it keeps me up nights worrying about you know the families of these children and other children who are going to school, obviously it's what I've dedicated my life to getting them out of there. Um, I still think we are missing the boat when we only focus on the guns. We're not looking at the underlying cause of the misery that is creating this random, because I'll tell you where else it shows up, not so much with guns, but have you seen the videos of people shoplifting, of people just going into a store, let's say in California where they don't prosecute anymore, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they just walk in absolutely unafraid, giant plastic bags, Louis Vuitton, whatever, and they just sweep everything into the bags. They sweep everything. They'll punch someone on the way out there. This level of disrespect for other people, for other people's hard work, for Mm -hmm. their belongings, whatever, that's what's sick about our culture right now. Something is very rotten here. Similar here. Similar here. And And it's all of the same sort. So the same person who goes, well, I'm going to take my guns, I'm going to just blow away a bunch of people, is the same person who objectifies others, who's become so antisocial and sociopathic for whatever reason, that they don't even see other humans as humans. And that just is as avatars, sick. yeah, just as avatars. And I, I completely agree with you. And you know, it's it's a weird thing I always find in, in the West. And when I say the West, I don't mean the whole West, I usually just mean um UK, US, and maybe not so much Canada, but there is this 
collective social level of discontent you know this weird discontent with not with life but with self you know Mm -hmm. and a few months ago maybe even six months ago I was just kind of comparing how people in what I call real poverty how they think how they are within their community and funnily enough it was because I was having a debate about whether poverty causes crime or not and I say no it doesn't because what I find is that when you go to places where people are in real poverty I say again and when I say real poverty I mean no access to clean water no food no easy way to get food if that is available you see how they are within their community. You see how they regard human life. You see how they regard each other. You see how they regard the work of the other. You know, there's little theft. There's little, you know, of course these things exist, but it's not as rampant as places like the UK and the US who blame such things as even poverty, even, you know, social conditions. So I'm not really sure what the true cause is yet, that you can have, you know, you can have more than much more than the majority of the world and yet feel your life so empty and so hopeless to the point that you can go and obliterate the lives of of other people I, I can't understand that so yes I do agree because that's kind of agreeing with your point I think in these other communities they don't have much but each other right exactly. they do have that network they do have that community and in places like the UK especially and the US with this defra- this fragmentation of the family structure um i think of course that will mess up your sense of identity and sense of belonging and that is the greatest poverty in my opinion is right. that which causes and, yeah and that's another example of where they're doing harm while claiming to do good is well we have problems with people feeling disconnected and they don't feel they belong and they don't feel they have purpose in life. So when they come into school, first thing in kindergarten, we're going to say, identify yourself on this chart and check all these boxes and decide who you are, little six-year-old or three-year-old or whatever, when you can't even think rationally about anything. And that's not how it's done. It's like nobody sat down and said, what is identity and how is it formed? What is self-worth and how is it formed? What is, you know, and instead they are doing, everything is cosmetic. Everything is cosmetic. Oh, you want an identity? Here you go. Sticker. I am this list of identities or, oh, you want to feel like you're belonging? Here's the gay straight alliance club. You wanted it. It's so cosmetic and fake. So surface when in fact, real self-esteem, I believe comes from try, fail, try, fail, try, fail, you know, like in build character, build character. And yet that doesn't mean that, you know, fail early, fail often, because then you have more to learn to fail better, right? It's like you, you fail up, you mm-hmm. fail, you, you, you fail more productively or, and then the people I always saw my role as a teacher and as a parent to encourage rational risk-taking and then rational analysis of what went wrong. And then so, but the idea that you could protect your child from all risks and all chaos and all problems, to me, that's gross. That's like, what are you going to do? They can't live their lives. You know, I, I looked at the staircase in my home 
when I had my, my third child, I had it's a three-story home with a big steep staircase. And I said, well, I could approach this multiple ways. I could put gates everywhere and hope no one leaves one open. That random occurrence that one of my older children leaves it open, my husband leaves it open, I leave it open. Or I can teach my child as a baby to mm-hmm. go down the stairs. Mm-hmm. That's the one I chose. Now, was there the risk that she'd lose her, you know, she wasn't going on her feet. I told her to go on her stomach, that she'd lose her balance and fall a little bit. But I thought to myself, okay, there's carpet. So that's one mitigating thing. There's me teaching her over and over to go on her tummy backwards. And wouldn't you know it, worked perfectly. She never fell down the stairs. And she learned to crawl, crawl quicker. And she learned to walk quicker. That my other older two children who had didn't have a house with stairs that like that. They were they were of that age in a different home. So they were like not having to even deal with this risk at all. Some people would be like, I'm not buying a house with stairs until my children can walk on them. And I was like, Well, this is the house we can afford and it's got a big steep staircase. I guess they better deal with it. And I feel like with our schools, with our parenting, with everything, we're doing the exact opposite. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So I don't know, but I mean, it doesn't really solve the gun violence problem, but I do think if we can get to the bottom of why people want that power in their hands. Okay. So like, for example, I have firearms. I don't particularly want to use them. Like, I hope I never have to, right? They're for protection. Um, But so I don't pick that up without a degree of reverence. I'm going to practice I'm, you know, it's, it's reverence. It's like, I never want this in my hand if I'm not in a practice situation, except in a case where it is of dire need, right? Mm-hmm. Something in the people who are picking up that level of power is missing and it, that's filling the hole, but it's not the gun's fault. It's not the gun manufacturer's fault. It's not my fault. Cause I support the second amendment there. It, it, it's may not be any one person's fault. It's something we need to talk about and we need to stop yelling at each other about you're a fascist evil murderer because you like guns or you know you're a, a, a mindless nitwit because you don't and we need to sit down and just yeah. say look we both want the same thing you were dead kids yeah <laughs> like, i definitely agree with that and <laughs> even though i i don't personally think guns is a good idea um in in the country personally but I do think that there is a push to de-gun America. And I don't fully know why that is yet. I'm sure you guys know. But I do see that something maybe more sinister might be going on. And because of that, that's why I say, well, maybe it's not a good idea. Because why is there such a push to do that? And I say that because of, you know, the quickness to politicize such a horrific event um as this and it does happen both sides but of course it happens more with the left on the on the left so because that's my that's how I'm built that's my my attitude when there's when I feel that even though I may not want that but if I feel but there's something else going on to remove that that's when I'm like so maybe it's not such a good idea so that's my only reservation with no guns in America. I'm trying to see or understand what the bigger picture is of, well, what is the desperation to remove those from from America? But definitely, um, I do think that there are underlying issues, not just with with this um, 
um, er this area of guns, but with everything else, there is mm -hmm. an underlying issue. And I think in a few years, I think sooner rather than later, I think there is going to be an eruption of um, a, a social identity crisis. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, due to the fact of this confusion around um, gender politics, race politics, everything is just sort of bubbling and it's going to bubble over soon and it won't be pretty. I'm hoping it's not in my lifetime because it will not be pretty. So it's like a training of it from, from young you know, to have people not um, connected to reality, to objectivity, to facts, you know, it's disconnecting them from it, you know, especially when moving to augmented reality as well. There's just so much going on with one purpose, which is to destabilize the individual. And for whatever purpose that is, I guess we're going to see one day. Well, that you, you just said it, you said to destabilize the individual. And when somebody assigns you your identity markers and then tells you at a young age that your parents are a hindrance, your parents are not to be trusted, the secrets should be kept with the teacher, um, the, you know, the established uh, supports that you thought you had when you were two or three or five or whatever, that you uh, be very suspicious of them because they're the old people. I mean, that's Maoism right there. Um, you are, you are destabilizing the individual and mm. unstable individuals do things like shoot up schools. And they're easier to manipulate as well. Very easy to manipulate, very easy to uh, get to do really self-destructive things in the name of stability or in the name of an, a, a, an order to the chaos in their minds and their hearts. Um, you see it with religious cults where somebody comes in and says, you know, I have the answer and they'll glom onto that. And, you know, the, the, the mass suicide in Guyana that happened, um, that was a result of people seeking some measure of stability and continuity and, and, uh, and fellowship control. and so forth. Yeah, well, the, the head can, guy, yeah, control. Yeah. yeah, but even within we, in my opinion, that's why I think some people also commit. It's an element to why some people commit suicide because they feel so powerless. Let me do something that that's come from me, as horrible and as dark as it is. At least I have control of my life, kind of. So I'm going to take it, right? Which is the most exactly. stupid thing. It should be I have control of my life. Let me use my reason, my intellect, my whatever to actually make something of it. But, you know, they choose that option, um, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah. Of reason, speaking mm -hmm. of reason and intellect, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard it many times that the description of whiteness and people saying that, you know, whenever you use the word reason, when you use the word, you know, or objectivity or whatever, oh, that's whiteness. Mm -hmm. How does that, I mean, I always sit back and say, that is the most racist, offensive. <laughs> like, I don't offend that easily. But, you know, when I hear that, I'm just like, how is, I, I, I don't understand how every single person who is phenotypically black is going, excuse me? Like, I would be so pissed off. Yeah, it's, it's how I feel when people say women are women are it, totally irrational. Women can't think. Women it's the are same it's, thing. It's but the that same is that's thing. what you're saying. If you're saying that reason is a is whiteness, then you're saying that lack of is 
blackness then or they right. will obviously they won't say in those words they will obviously some say something else but when such people say things like this I just think to myself that they obviously don't travel or they obviously don't know the world because how do they think people in let's say I will only I will always just mention Nigeria because that's where I'm from how do they think people there do things build things you know no I'm I'm not going to use reason and mathematical objectivity I'm just I think let's do that five centimeters or whatever like we use this in our own countries as well and I think it is racist and I think you know that it just shows how ignorant they really are even things like standardized tests are racist how this is literally the way the whole world in one way or another this is how they measure intelligence you know even if it might not be iq okay let's measure the iq but yeah, every yeah. country has a standard of how they sort out their own own social order so it's just mm-hmm. the most ethnocentric thing actually i think and it's not it doesn't only totally. just come from white people i mean black people say this as well and some someone i i follow just for the sake of just knowing how crazy I, some ideas are they say exactly the same thing well you can't expect ba- black kids to pass English exams because they don't know some of these words and one of the examples he gave was for example let's say you have the word elated in an exam well a black child won't know what elated means because they don't use the word elated and I'm just like you know number one this is why we read this is why we read books, because most of the words I use, let's say in conversation or even during school exams, I probably didn't use it once within my siblings or whatever. So it's just exactly. the most ridiculous excuse and it's showing the fact and it's actually reinforcing a, a statistic of, for example, I, I think it was Asian kids spend two hours in homework and you know black kids spend like 30 minutes it it reinforces that idea because if you just bump up that time a little bit more it makes such a difference when taking you know these tests and and everything else so it's not a white thing standardization of of tests intelligence and having to get this qualification or do this in this way it's not a a white thing so i hate to break just habits of excellence and and anyone that's the beauty of them anyone no matter who you are if you are human and you have you know your faculties in other words there's nothing organic holding you back okay then you can adopt the habits of excellence they've been well documented you can look at you can look at aristotle you can look at you can look at george washington at the age of 8 he started writing a list of all the different things that he considered to be the habits of excellence like that you know what it would take to become a gentleman of good character and he documented in a little notebook you can go buy that i mean any person i've met people who decided as young kids who said you know they were growing up with a single mom or they were growing up in, in poverty and they said they looked around and they saw people who had more and they said well i want to be one of them what do i do and started getting books written by the people who had more mm-hmm. and started reading them and they said okay you know or you look at like a thomas soul you look at people like this and model yourself after those people anyone can do it there that's the beauty of education i i mentioned the other day i was watching a video about uh where a teacher was reading to kindergartners and she was talking about the Buffalo shooting and saying how she was just so, she's talking to kindergartners. Oh, I was just so sad and emotional, but there was this tiny glimmer of hope that, you know, I can teach you kids how to think or whatever. And I thought to myself, 
you have to look for a tiny glimmer of hope in five and six-year-olds? And it just made me kind of mad. I'm like, you are hope. Your job is hope. Your job, just teaching them how to read and write and do math, that is hope. Education is hope. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You have to look for it. I have to search high and low for hope. And it's like, here it is. It's a book. (laughs) And I just, it baffles me. It's sad. It is. It saddens me because it's like, even when I watch videos of um, teachers saying, I just came out to, to my class today. And it's like, you know, it, it saddens me because that person, with all due respect, is not securing themselves. And that goes back to what I said of people having to advertise their identity. And I don't care what that identity is. It could be your whiteness that you hold dear to you or your blackness or your religion, whether you're Muslim, Christian. If you feel this need wherever you go, oh, I'm, I'm Christian and this is how I live my life and this is how I don't live my life. Oh, I'm vegan and this is how I live my life and this is how I don't live my life my life i'm gay this is how i live my life i don't need all that because that's not the interesting part of you right how do you act in in trouble how do you act with challenge that's the that's who i want to know your character your arbitrary characteristics your social identity markers mean nothing to me because they are they are not what makes you excellent or not excellent it's who you are your character your disposition and that's it that's where it ends that's where it begins that's it and And let's face it all bigotry is it can be traced back to some fear about demands the person the different person is going to make on the person who's bigoted so if if you are just live and let live and you are not, you know, people who are homophobic, what was the big fear? Not that I'm not saying it was legit. I'm just saying the fear was they were going to, you know, turn other people get, they were going to spread disease. They were going to do whatever those fears were. Right. So mm-hmm. if you run around in people's faces going, mm-hmm. I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. You're, you're, you are not only not doing anything mm-hmm. to dissuade people from being afraid. You're validating a lot of those fears in many cases, especially when it's like, I need to be able to talk to my students, these little tiny minor children, then you're validating every homophobe's worst fear that you're going to try to turn children gay. Okay. Which, I mean, I hate saying the words out loud, but let's face it. When for a long time, people walk around going, they will take our children, they will whatever. And now you've got people coming out doing exactly that. The very thing that people said this is what I'm afraid of. And everyone goes, oh, you're so backwards, you knuckle-dragging, troglodyte, you know, mm-hmm. stupid rube. And then now you see them on TikTok basically saying that exact thing and calling you a homophobe if you don't let them. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. So it doesn't seem like we're, we're way past the point of, I just want to live my life and be left alone. And now it's like, I want to fulfill your worst fears and then flip you the bird. And that's hostile. That's antisocial. That's hostile. That is legitimizing bigotry. Exactly. And and just very quickly, it's I I feel it's an a sign of insecurity as well when you feel the need to do that. Maybe Mm -hmm. you haven't resonated this identity marker you claim to be so confident with. I don't think you've resonated it within yourself. I don't think you've accepted it within yourself. And I say that to say, I remember, I don't know if it was California that I saw and they were doing, you you can obviously tell me, they were doing this thing called the slot walk. 
slot walk was it kind of slot walk i'm not familiar with this so the slot walk is when um a lot of girls women um they um oh wow apparently they had it in london as well okay well <laughs> this is in america i saw it and i they just basically go out and express their sexuality so some people can be topless you know it's like just the fest and you know they're happy to be free promiscuous and just basically advertising that to the world now as someone who was um, who had that kind of lifestyle when I was younger I'm not going to go into all detail but I didn't have the best lifestyle but and I f because I you know didn't have stable relationships that didn't for me maybe everyone's people are different but I find that's not the case it comes rather from a place of insecurity and an imbalance of yourself rather than confidence and you say it's confidence of course because you want to show that to the world but deep down when you're home alone you only know the truth so when I see people just going out and woo and I love sex and I love to sleep with a hundred men a day I'm like why do you feel the need to advertise that and over what are you overcompensating for you know an insecurity okay. something that you haven't resolved within yourself and someone else said this as well about even Christianity like true Christians they kind of just live their life according to what they believe rather than having to advertise to everyone you know I don't drink I don't smoke I go to church why do you feel the need who are you convincing I think is what I want to ask are you trying to convince the other or are you trying to convince yourself because when you're sure of who you are even this thing of racial identity I don't have this thing of I'm proud to be black kind of thing but I'm proud of who I am I'm proud of my culture therefore I don't need to demonize or lessen your culture to try and bring mine up because I'm so secure in my culture whether you are secure or not in yours that's literally your prerogative I'm good with mine but I see that there's this thing of trying to bring the so-called oppressor one down whether that be whiteness whether that be white culture whether that be heterosexuality and all that why do you feel the need to pull that one down and raise your, yours up what is missing there I think is is always my question right yeah. right yeah you know what's interesting um you, the insecurity thing i have so many questions about it because i look back at my own life and i think well i don't i wasn't the most secure person you know as a young adult teenager etc i remember feeling very awkward feeling i got bullied like crazy and i keep thinking what was different you know what or what is different now? And, and and I come up with a lot of the same ideas other people have. Like, well, I didn't have social media constantly adding to my discomfort or telling me the, you know, the million other ways I might feel, you know, lesser than or whatever. Um, I didn't have the literal comparisons. The comparisons were all in my head. With the exception of bullies who'd say, you know, you're this, you're that. That's limited to when you're around them, it was, mm -hmm. right? Now I imagine kids are getting, you know, likes, likes, yes. you know, dislikes, negative comments. There's always it, that constant feedback, right? Or non-feedback. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it, it seems like even those who try to escape it or even those whose parents don't allow them to have social media, like my kids, 
didn't have social media. And one of my daughters was getting bullied using text messages and social media accounts of other people. So then she'd hear from friends. This is what's being said on Instagram. This is what's being said. So then you have the double whammy of it's happening and you can't, you can't see it. So you imagine the worst. And of course you don't really want to go see it. That's not going to make it any better. And it, it's just inescapable in a way that's different from when we were kids mm. or even young adults. And I really feel for them. I think that's incredibly, um, incredibly difficult. And we haven't evolved as human animals to the point where I think we're able yet uh, at that age to make sense of it. You know, you're biologically geared towards, you know, I'm going through puberty. This is all very awkward, massive changes really quickly. And you're getting too much feedback too fast about what it all means from people who do not have your best interests at heart. And then parents are trying to get in and it's like, like our voices are so quiet and I was curious and this if you don't need to answer because it's kind of a personal question but you don't have children right no I don't not yet okay <laughs> now as you look ahead to your own future do you have misgivings trepidations concerns about having children given everything that's going on or do you have thoughts about how you would go about it differently or it's given everything that's happening it's a good question um I did I did for a very long time and I didn't want children um, because I I know how difficult, even though I wasn't, you know, social media came a little bit after, but it, it still was in my teenage years. And But it wasn't a huge part of my life. But mine was more a personal reason apart from social media in terms of how much pain one can go through. Um, I did go through a lot as well in during my childhood years. So it was more of that, of I knew what I went through and I just can't imagine my child having that pain. And obviously the just the amount of distraction and just mess, really, mess the world is in. I mean, look, the world has always been in a mess. We've always, the world has always been messy as, as long as, as, you know, since human beings have sort of, you know, gotten hold of their intelligence, you know, technology, tools, science and all this. If funnily enough, right, the world has been a mess because of that constant, you know, insatiable search for meaning, for purpose. You know, this has existed since the beginning of time. But my problem and my fear isn't how the, how messy the world is, but just how human beings have become and how polarized and how unreachable the other side is to the other, if that makes sense. So it's more of that. But now, um, obviously, I'm, um, I found a, my partner, my fiance, I have to say, he always says that. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> so I think obviously that that just changes. Well, it definitely changed me a lot because, you, you know, you find that love. So you want to recreate that love um, yes. sort of tangibly. So yeah. and let me not get too preachy. I said this in my other live. I'm getting too preachy nowadays. I don't know what's going on, but I think the love dispels that fear. So sort of, because true love comes security and maybe people can take this from themselves as well. True love for the self as well is not this shallow, you know, concept is, is a sense of acceptance you know, a sense of um, wholeness, not per not perfection, because we'll never be perfect, but it's a sense of 
resolution. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Things are okay. You know, I can improve. I can grow. So all that encompass is encompassed in love. And I think there's just that natural, I really want to recreate that in something. Obviously, some people don't recreate that with children. They might use the career. They might use their art. They might use their music. But we as humans always search for a way to express you know, that love in a tangible, um, in tangible form. So I guess the answer is, yeah, bring on the kids. Thank God my partner doesn't watch, he's not on YouTube or social media. <laughs> don't, don't want him to get ideas. <laughs> well, it is, it is sort of an act of hope. Mm. Um, but it, it is, it is challenging. I mean, I, my audience is made up, uh, I would, I'd say primarily parents, but uh, you know, maybe not. Um, and I have, a mixture right now. I'm at a, I'm in a weird place of feeling like this deep sense of compassion and loyalty. I don't know if you call it loyalty, but like protectiveness over other parents and their kids. While at the same time, I get so frustrated and angry with so many of them because I, none of what's happening, especially in the United States to our kids could be happening without without the at least tacit consent of parents who are dropping their children off at these schools who are saying, here, state, take care of my kids, raise my kids for me. And then coming up with 17 different excuses about why they can't do it any differently or how it got this way or that, you know, it's not their fault or whatever. And I'm not saying people should go, Mia culpa, it's all my fault. I'm just saying at some point you need to, it's like with kids and their parents. Well, my mom was a jerk and that's why this. And it's like, you know, you're now an adult. And you're responsible for another child. It's it's long past time where you can blame any of that on anyone else. You put this person on the planet. Literally, it is one hundred percent your responsibility. Yeah, one hundred percent. Their safety, their security. Their you know you can't you can't prevent mental illness. You can't prevent physical illness to a certain degree. I mean, some obvious things you can do, but you can you can protect them against the, the obvious uh, bad actors. Right. Um, and when people are coming to you and saying, look here, see the thing with your own eyes, you see it. Uh, see the moat with the crocodiles that are crawling up in front of the school. You know, that's like, and like, no, I'm sure they serve a purpose. Yeah. I'm sure if the school put the crocodiles there, then they, uh, they, they serve a good purpose. Don't they? Yeah. And it's like, Exactly. So I'm torn. I'm torn between wanting to like help them and wanting to. <laughs> I, I think if we had that slogan somehow, you know, plastered all over the world globally, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. It might not be all my fault, but it's all my responsibility. And that will help every sector that we're seeing is messy at the moment, be it education, be it parenting, be it the racial divide, be it the gender ideology stuff. It's not all my fault, but it's all my responsibility. And it's like um, the, in, the schools, in my opinion, it shouldn't be in my opinion, but I will say my opinion, shouldn't have the responsibility for raising your child. And I think that's the biggest difference in, in with somewhere like, let's say, Nigeria and the UK. The school is not the school is just there to give my child the information they need to succeed commercially financially 
But to succeed as a human being, that's on me. That's on me. And we can't outsource that responsibility to an institution, no matter how noble that institution is. And that's where we're failing. We've replaced that responsibility. The government is not responsible. I hear it all the time in the UK. When a, a, a boy gets arrested for murdering another boy, stabbing them to death in the heart. And then the mother will come on the TV and have the audacity to say, well, this happened because there aren't enough youth clubs and youth centers. Where were you? <laughs> Where were you? The child may not have a the child may not have had a youth center, but they freaking had you. What were you doing? So yeah. Brilliantly, brilliantly stated. That that was that was fantastic. I couldn't. I I I I don't think we can top that. I think we can, I think we're done. I think we are. <laughs> I think we've just like wrapped it up with a bow, folks. Um, with that wisdom, you are so correct. Um, it is our children are our responsibility. So I cannot thank you enough for spending this time with me. It's always a joy to talk to you because you have so much wisdom. And I, I, I love speaking with people who think it's such a novelty that people use, <laughs> use their brains. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I, there are so many smart people who just don't turn it on. It's like, that's all you have to do. But we all have to agree with each other and be in a nice little ideological bubble and boring. That's boring. Like we had disagreed a little bit actually for the first time today. But how amazing it is that we can have a proper conversation and see things from a different perspective. And I just want to commend you. I'm loving that you're growing. I'm loving what you're doing with this channel. I pretty much followed you from when you were like hundreds so this is i want to <laughs> and I, I was so excited to see that you that you now have like your your youtube please everybody subscribe to her youtube as well here is the address it's in the comments and i will also put it across the bottom so that you can see but you really need to um to join there as well because you have some great guests and um you talk about a wide range of topics that I think, um, again, if you want to hear more of what Ada has to say around everything, I mean, just a wide range of topics. If you're really craving sense, like somebody to just sit and ask questions that no one's asking or bring something up unapologetically that, you know, somebody might otherwise be tiptoeing around. Like, that's what I like that you do. And you never, you're never aggressive. You're never, antagonistic you're just genuinely curious even today with the gun situation where you expressed your opinion which is shared by millions and millions of people so it's not like that's why i can't get upset about it because i'm well aware that people of good faith have this view all over the world and i've just kind of resigned myself to you know that's how it is and it's incumbent upon me to defend what I perceive to be my rights and I better come up with principled arguments and I better, um, you know, I better make them uh, as, as cogently as I can and not just expect people to take, because it's my right. It's in the constitution because we, no, that's not working. It's not working. Mm. So if I can't explain it to someone else where they at least say, okay, well, I don't know if I agree, but at least I can understand now that you are, 
you know, you're coming from a, a, a set of principles or you're coming at it from a position that's much more complex than I thought, mm. you know, it's not a simple, you like to kill people and I don't, of course you not. know, <laughs> or anything yeah, like that. Of course not. And yeah. And I and, think and, that's what's lacking. Unfortunately, yeah. I think like, even if I didn't know you, I wouldn't come take your argument as something you know that you're trying to get the better of me and it is sad that people can't have that conversation without oh what you you're trying to say my views are less than yours or my principles are worse than yours and it's not a tit for tat thing I feel after the Ivaldi shooting I couldn't go on Twitter because both the conservatives and the democrats in America were just Number one, talking about things completely unrelated just to prove their own policies and their own points. And I thought right. that's just so unhuman. It's so unhuman, right. so, so sad. And unfortunately, that's why things can't progress, even for the liberals and the conservatives, right. because they're playing, falling into that same game and moving away from reason from right. respect from you know finding that commonality and it's come to a thing in america of i can't be with the other side civil war and it's like what how whoa, whoa how did we get there relax let's rewind well, let's, it the irony of that is how are you gonna fight that without, without god <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> i couldn't resist <laughs> you have to all right we get you all right <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't resist it was it was just softball right out there so anyway I well yeah. i hope you have a wonderful rest of your now evening yes and i thank you so much to everyone who joined us today thank you for being here please like share comment helps feed the algorithm go subscribe to ada's uh, channel she's also on twitter at um are you out the it's same Ada. yeah everything Ada. just type in Ada Akapala you find me everywhere okay <laughs> yeah. and um keep the conversations going everyone thank you so much have a great day